Let's up in prayer. Sure. Father God, I just thank you for today, Lord. I thank you, Father, for just everything that holds and will hold, Lord. And I just pray as we come together um, and just enter into this time, God, I just pray that we would just put off everything, um, God, that would either cause us to be distracted or not be uh, focused on you, Lord, and that we would just be ready to receive um, anything that you would have for us, that our hearts would be just good soil, that our minds would be focused on you, and um, Father, that we would just walk away challenged, convicted, Lord, and just encouraged um, in you and in your word, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. I can hear you call. 
Father, thank you for that truth, Lord. God, it's our hope in you and you alone, God, that will see us through the darkest days, that will see us through our confusion, our doubt. Oh God, that we would keep our eyes on you and you alone, not on the temporalness of life, but God, that we would trust in the fullness of your mercy and of your grace. Thank you, God, that you've brought us here today. And as we open up your word, Father, I pray you to be a source of encouragement for us. To know that truly you are God and God alone. And that you desire, Father, that we will draw close to you. And search after you with our whole heart. So may we be attentive today, Lord. And that ultimately our lives would just be a reflection of your great love so that others would come to know you, Father. Truly the King of kings and the Lord of lords. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. We're heading to Mark, chapter 1. That's where we're heading. I don't know how many of you have read through Mark, or know much about Mark, but I've been really encouraged about this gospel. I've read through Mark before, but I never really have, if you would, studied to know Mark. And so today, um, before we get into this chapter, I am going to go through, as we usually do, or as I usually do, when we open up a new book, an introduction. Because I really want you to know the person, the Holy Spirit inspired to write this out. This is the Word of God. It's not man's story, it's God's story. God inspired this young man, and you got to excuse me, because I've been so emotional reading about this man and studying about this guy that God used to pen his word. If you don't know much about Mark, we're going to learn a lot about Mark, and in learning about Mark, we're going to know about Jesus, because Jesus changed Mark's life. In fact, even when Mark was a failure, there was a time that Mark was on a missionary trip. And for whatever reason, he left. And it caused some issues between Barnabas and Paul. In fact, the second missionary trip where Mark had an opportunity to go, Paul was like, I don't know him with us. You see, Mark could have remained in the concept or the thought pattern that he failed God. That he lapped down his brothers and sisters because he returned. But Barnabas remained a fixture in, in Mark's life. Barnabas, this other man of God, chose to continue to pour into Mark to remind Mark of who Christ was and who Mark was in Christ. And not only that, Mark's spiritual father, the one that really took him in under his wings, was Peter. Wow, could you imagine having Peter as your spiritual father? Wow, that's amazing. <clears throat> so this young man had endured so much. In fact, when he writes this letter, 
And he's writing it to the church in Rome. And we're going to learn about Rome today. And it's important that we learn, again, as you're studying the Bible, it's written to all men, from all generations. This is the living word of God. But I like to take it and, 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 and look at the people it was intended for, as it was intended for all of us, but there was a specific reason why he was writing to the church in Rome. And because of this reason, we know it's written for the church throughout the whole generations because he's writing them in a time where they're under intense persecution. He's writing them in a time where the secular world is thriving in just chaos, confusion, per perversion, when things around them were screaming at them to try to draw them back into the, to the world, he was reminding them of who Jesus was. And so this is actually the shortest gospel. He gets right to the point. He doesn't have to, and you're going to hear me repeat a lot of different things that I'm saying to you right now, but it's good for our petition so it can settle into us. But he's, he's, he doesn't have to write like Matthew did or Luke or John. He doesn't have to try to, you know, explain to these believers, you know, the, the genealogy of Christ. You know, he doesn't have to try to explain to them how Jesus fulfilled these prophecies because the majority of the believers in Rome were Gentiles, people who were not of the Jewish faith, but that they were people who God was pleased to reveal himself to them through Jesus, and they accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And that's all they knew. They wanted to know about their Savior. So he didn't, he didn't waste time. He got straight to the point, this is who Jesus was. And the point that he was constantly making to them, are you ready for this? Because we hear it a lot here. So I was so inspired when I was reading, and I was like, ah, oh, that's just amazing. He wanted them to remember that Jesus, above all, that he was God, but that ultimately he was a servant. And the way that you're going to survive in this world, on this earth, as a believer, is to remember your purpose is to serve. Is to serve, because that's what Jesus came to do. In the midst of everything else that's going on in your life, if you would just remember to serve others, to love others, to encourage others, that there's hope. No matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through, there's hope in a man, in a king, in a God whose name is Jesus. See, it's not about religion. It's not about following rules and laws and, and trying to do good and be good. No, it's about Christ and Christ alone. Because when you accept Jesus, when, when you recognize your need for a Savior, when, when you see the fullness of God's love displayed through Him, that God desires to have an intimate relationship with you. He knows our rebellious ways. He knows our sin. And yet He still loves us. Yet He still bids us to come. And in that bidding to come to Him, we don't have to try to clean ourselves up. No, He cleans us up by the Holy Spirit. 
Once you receive Jesus, you receive the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God dwells within you, and He brings forth that conviction. He brings forth this transformation in your life. Because as a believer, your life should be changing. Your life should be maturing. You're growing. You're not, to be, you're not going to be perfect, but you're growing because you're knowing Him more and more. And the more that you know Him, the more that you're seeking Him, the more that you're going to find Him, and in that He's going to transform you, and you're going to become a new person. Because that's the whole concept of being born again. Not of the flesh, not of the desires that are from within and all the insecurities that have tried to plague our minds, but from the truth of God's Word that says, no, this is who you are. You're a child of God. And in Him, you're not lacking anything. And I continue to encourage you, don't live out of your brokenness. Don't make decisions out of your brokenness. See, your brokenness only knows rebellion. And so it, you will pull away from God. But when you have a surrendered life to God, even in your brokenness, you know that you're accepted. Wow. And in that acceptance, He does the work within you. You just have to trust Him. You just have to cling tight to Him. And say, it doesn't matter what's going around or going on within me. God, you are for me. I've been thinking a lot over these past few months of how He moved in my life 16 some odd years ago. And how He moves in our lives. But I've been reflecting like, God, wow. Like, this is amazing. And I've gone through my ups and my downs and my ins and my outs. And yet, he's been constant all through that. And I have to, and you have to, go through the ups and the downs and the ins and outs so that he's revealed to you more and more. He keeps drawing us to him. I go, wow, God, you are faithful. Faithful. He is faithful. He's faithful to his promises of what he has said. And I've been encouraging you. See, we just can't take one portion of Scripture and say, okay, no, you have to take the fullness of Scripture. This is the greatest love story of all. And you've heard me say, Hollywood can't even touch this. Like from Genesis to Revelation, we just finished our series about being the people of God last week. You see, God's purpose from the beginning is to have a people that He will call His own. And in return, they, in return, will call him their God. And they would live for him. That's what it's about being a Christian, you all. You've been engrafted into God's kingdom. You've been set apart from him. You're going to look different from the world. You're not going to begin. It's not about being perfect. But it is about being sincere. And saying, God, here's my heart. How can I serve you and how can I serve others? You see, the flesh only knows one thing, and we all have talked about this before, is to die. The nature in which we're all born in, because we're all born in, born as sinners, in complete rebellion towards God. That flesh only knows one thing, it's how to die, so it drags us to the very things that will kill us. But see, life is found in Christ and in Christ alone. That's why Jesus says, I'm the only way. And so here's Mark, this young man, inspired by the Holy Spirit. 
In a day and an age where being a Christian was not popular, in fact, they were being killed. The church that he was writing to is the church that Nero, one of the emperors in Rome, did horrible things to Christians. He used to put them on crosses throughout the city and ignite them. And their bodies, as they're engulfed in flames, would light the city. He would put animal carcass on them and throw them in an arena. And the crowds of people would cheer as Christians were being torn apart by wild animals. This is what the church was enduring during this time that this was penned and written to encourage them. Horrible, horrible atrocities were taking place to Christians. And yet, they're called to remember Christ. So let me talk to you real quick. Bear with me, because again, I, 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 there's so much about this before, in, before we get into chapter 1. So action, moving, doing, helping, getting going, making things happen. Some people think, some talk, but if you get involved, not content to observe from the sidelines, they get into the game, they get into life. This describes Mark and his father in a faith, Peter. And it's the picture of Jesus that Mark presents in this gospel. The gospel of Mark is the shortest of the four records of Jesus' life. And it covers only three and a half years. On the first page, Mark jumps into the action with John the Baptist's fiery preaching and the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. Then moving swiftly through Jesus' baptism, temptation in the desert, and call of the disciples, Mark focuses his attention on Jesus' public ministry. He is interested in Christ's works, not just his words. In fact, Mark records 18 of Jesus' miracles and only four of his parables. Although Mark presents events in a chronological order, he gives little or no historical link with linkage between the events. And to keep things moving and heightened to the sense of action, Mark continually uses the phrase straightway or immediately. Readers feel Jesus is on the move. We better stay alert or we'll miss something. Writing to a Roman audience, Mark does not have to recite Jesus' genealogy or refer to the Old Testament prophecies that have been fulfilled. Gentiles don't need a Jewish history lesson. They need a clear picture of Jesus Christ. And the Romans believers, I'm sorry, and the Romans believe in the power of inaction. So Mark makes sure they have no, a no-nonsense, concise, action-packed summary. Mark pictures Jesus as powerful, giving sight to the blind, raising the dead, calming storming seas, restoring deformed bodies. But he showed Jesus using his mighty power to help others, taking the form of a servant, not a king. Mark weaves the servant theme throughout his book and prevents the servant Jesus as an example to follow. And whosoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, the Gospel of Mark is a short, action-packed account, bustling with life and focused on Christ's purpose. You see, as we study Mark, be ready for a fast-paced non-stop. Be open for God's move into your life, and be challenged to move into your world to serve. So a little bit about Mark. He was the cousin of Barnabas. 
Barnabas, and a close friend of Peter. You see, the book of Mark, I'm sorry, the book of Mark names no other author. Since the 2nd century AD, however, church leaders and scholars have accepted John Mark as the one who wrote this gospel. John is his Jewish name, and Mark, or Marcus, was his Roman name. The early church fathers unanimously accepted Mark's authorship. You see, Mark was young. He was in his teens at the time of Jesus' death and resurrection. Evidently, his mother Mary was a well-to-do widow who had come to faith in Christ. Many surmise that Mary's house was the site of the Lord's Supper and the home where the disciples gathered at Pentecost. Some believe that Mark was the young man who ran, ran away naked from Jesus, well, I'm sorry, when Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. Regardless of the truth of these speculations, Scripture clearly states that 14 years after the t- torturous events leading to the crucifixion, the church gathered at Mary's house to pray. King Herod had begun to persecute believers. He had executed James, the brother of John, and was holding Peter in prison. The church was praying for Peter's release. Luke explains that after Peter had miraculously been released from prison, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark. Mark was deeply involved in the drama of the Jerusalem church and was well known to Peter and the other disciples. In Colossians 4, Paul reveals that Mark is the cousin of Barnabas. Perhaps that is what motivated Barnabas and Paul to take Mark with them back to Antioch from Jerusalem. Soon thereafter, Barnabas and Paul were commissioned by the church in Antioch to to begin their first missionary journey. And they included Mark as their helper. Early in the trip, however, in Perga, Mark abruptly left and returned to Jerusalem. Luke gives no reason for Mark's departure. Perhaps he was homesick, fearful, or ill. Later, however... When the disagreement between, I'm sorry, later, however, when Paul and Barnabas began to plan a second journey, Mark became the cause of a sharp, strongly, a strong, sorry, a sharp disagreement between the two men. Barnabas wanted to include Mark again, but Paul was strongly opposed because Mark had deserted them on the previous trip. So Barnabas and Paul, Paul parted company. Barnabas sailed to Cyprus with Mark, while Paul chose Silas and traveled to Syria and Cilicia. We know a little else about John Mark. Eventually, he and Paul reconciled completely because later he joined Paul in Rome during Paul's first imprisonment and was a comfort to him there. During Paul's second imprisonment and just before his death, he asked Timothy to bring Mark to Rome because he is helpful to me and my ministry, was Paul's words. Mark must have matured emotionally and spiritually through the years and under the mentoring of his cousin, Barnabas. Mark also enjoyed a very close relationship with Peter. In fact, Peter may have led Mark to Christ because he calls Mark my son. After Paul's release from prison in A.D. 62, Mark may have stayed in Rome to work closely with Peter. Mark probably left Rome in about A.D. 65 or 66 during Nero's intense persecution Both Paul and Peter were executed by Nero. According to tradition, Mark died soon after. John Mark provides a sterling example of how a young Christian can grow and mature, perhaps basking in the attention of the spiritual giants of Paul and Barnabas and excited by the prospect of reaching the world with the gospel. He had sailed to Cyprus on the first missionary journey. A short time later, however, when the going got tough, again, we know that Mark returned home. 
Whatever Mark's reasons for relieving, Paul didn't approve. In fact, he wanted, again, nothing to do with Mark after the incident. Yet 15 years later, Mark was serving as a ministry companion to both Peter and Paul. As mentioned before, Mark enjoyed a close working relationship with Peter and probably received most of his information about Jesus from him. In fact, the book of Mark may be termed, better termed, the gospel according to Peter. Some believe that Mark took notes on Peter's preaching so that many stories in this gospel were probably presented verbally before they appeared in written form. <clears throat> so again, his audience. It also seems clear that Mark was writing primarily to Christians. He used distinctively Christian terms such as baptized, Holy Spirit without explaining them. And Mark seems to have assumed that his readers were familiar with Jesus' background, with, the John, with John the Baptist, and with the major events of Jesus' life. So who were these Roman Christians to whom Mark directed his gospel? At first, the church at Rome was Jewish, consisting of Jews who had come to believe in Jesus as their Messiah. But over the years, many Christians from all parts of the Roman Empire had migrated to Rome some of them through Paul's converts and many of them Gentiles. In addition, many citizens of Rome had come to faith in Christ through the ministry of other believers. And Paul, while he was in prison, eventually the church had a majority of Gentiles with an influential Jewish minority. You see, being a Christian in Rome meant being a part of a distinct minority, religiously and socially. Rome was filled with gods, and the prevailing thought was that all the gods were real. Thus, Jews and Christians, listen to this, were viewed as atheists because they believed only in one God and denied the existence of all the pagan deities. Christians also came in direct conflict with basic Roman values. To Roman citizens, the highest allegiance was to the state, but for Christians, God took priority. Roman citizens were very class conscious, and non-Romans were seen as distinctively inferior but Christians believe that there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free, male nor female, for you all are one in Christ Jesus. Believers also refused to participate in immoral activities. Christians stood out and eventually were signaled out of terrible persecution. And Mark wrote to men and women who could have felt overwhelmed by the pressures and problems and needed a clear, fresh look at Jesus. So let's take a look at Mark. This clear, fresh look of Jesus. What are you facing in your life today? What have you been facing in your life today? My prayers is as we open up this book, as we begin to open up God's Word, that we would get a clear, fresh look of who Christ is. Remember who these, this was written to. Let's not take for granted that these words were captured for us. Just as it is with our, we may not be faced with intense persecution in our country, but in others, our brothers and sisters are being persecuted. When you're facing challenges in life, when life just doesn't seem to make sense, are you looking towards Jesus? That's who you should be looking towards. And so he opens up this book. This is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written. 
Look, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way. He is the voice shouting in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. This messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness and preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. All of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. His clothes were woven from the coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food he ate locusts and wild honey. John announced, Someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the strap of his sandals. I, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Wow. Right away, he sets the stage for the coming Messiah, Jesus. Jesus. John the Baptist's life fulfilled the prophecy of the one that would prepare the way. And do we, do we see John's message? Repent. Repent. Turn from your sins. Live a life that displays your need for God. In a day and age, and as, as you've read through the Gospels, or if you know anything about that, that time period, you had this religious establishment. You have the Pharisees and you have the Sadducees, these religious leaders who knew of God, but yet they didn't know God. They burdened God's people with all these rules and laws and do's and don'ts. They took the people's money. They fattened themselves up. And the people of God were going without. These religious men who made themselves known to people, who walked among the people as if they were better than them. And don't you find it interesting that the one who was called to prepare the way was a man of no fame? He ate locusts and honey, his dress wasn't admired. And it's interesting to me that he called the people, not within, but outside in the wilderness. And people flooded to this man. They were hungry. They knew that they were missing something. There has to be more to this life. And John the Baptist offered hope. Repent. Turn from your sin. Turn from your selfish ways. Turn to God. Repent. Turn from your selfish ways and turn to God. In fact, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, it is, it is not listed here in Mark, but it's said in Scripture that they even came to John the Baptist, but he wouldn't baptize them because they weren't truly repentant. It was just a show to them. Their heart truly wasn't towards God. It was just an expression to them of yet just another religious activity 
But John was bold enough to say, I will not baptize you because you're not truly repentant. You have not turned to God. I go, wow, this man was bold. This guy was different. He was nothing like the religious leaders. And yet, in his boldness, and yet, in his calling, he didn't lose sight of who Jesus was. He could have got a big head and puffed himself up. Look at all the people I'm baptizing. Look at all the crowds that are coming around me. He even had disciples that followed him. But I love the fact that he remained humbled. He knew his purpose, and that was to prepare the way. And I love the fact that he was able to say, there's one coming that I'm not even worthy of untying his sandals. Wow. Never lose sight of who Jesus is, you all. Never lose sight of who he is. And don't try to conform to religion. Don't try to conform to man's way of, of reaching God. <laughs> no, remain humble. Because God reached out to you through Jesus. He's reached out to you. He will begin this work in you. And he is faithful to complete it. One day, it says here in verse 9, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and John Baptist, I'm sorry, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart, and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, You are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. The Spirit then compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness, where he was tempted by Satan for forty days. He was out among the wild animals, and angels took care of him. Later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee, where he preached God's good news. The time promised by God has come at last, Jesus announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Jesus shows up on the scene. Jesus' ministry is about to begin, his purpose. And let's not forget, as we study and as we know, the cross was purposed even before the earth was formed. Adam and Eve, their sin was not a surprise to God. You see, you remember God's purpose, and you'll see it all through Scripture that he would have a people who he will call his own and that they will call him their God. There's going to be those on this earth that will never accept Jesus. Unfortunately, even Jesus is aware of that. He knows the heart of man. There will be those up until the end that will refuse to acknowledge him as God. There will even be those who may say his name, but they truly don't know him, like those Pharisees, like those Sadducees, these religious people who could talk about Jesus and, and know about Jesus, but they don't know Jesus. Because they're, it's all about them. How they have 
purpose, a religious way, just slap Jesus' name on it. We've got to be careful of that. The fullness and the knowledge of Christ is not to, so that we can puff ourselves up. No, it's to humble us even more to, to serve Him. Like, it's, it's, it's all for you. My life is not my own any longer. You see, we've talked about that place of surrender where we say, God, yes. I may not know the fullness of who I am now, but I'm going to get up from this place of receiving you and trusting that you're going to work in me. Remember, how does he transform us? By changing the way we think. Less of you and more of him. By changing the way you think is how you're being transformed. And I, I've always challenged myself and I've challenged others that are around me. If you don't see that you're growing in your faith, then I challenge you, as I've even challenged myself in seasons of my life, what have I been thinking on? you grow and you mature as the more thought that you give towards him knowing his word being in fellowship encouraging edifying each other bringing him back to the to the forefront of our life just as it's being done here for the church in Rome remember Jesus remember Jesus We've talked about it before where Scripture says to the church who's being persecuted, consider it joy. Look beyond your persecution. I mean, I can't even imagine. Could you imagine if we lived during this time? I love as I'm reading the Word of God and just trying to just settle myself in and trying to imagine what it must have been like. I don't know about you, but I say, God, these Christians... Could you imagine the stench of death, the smell of bodies burning in the city of your fellow brothers and sisters? Could you imagine tonight that they dragged me out and dragged Yvette out, dragged Melissa out and put us up in the, and on, a, on a cross and lit us up? What would your faith be like? Would you tremble with fear? Would you doubt God? Would you question God? Or would you be, as the church is called to, consider it joy? Oh, wow. These people could have hidden in fear. These people could have chosen to say, oh, who wants to sign up for this? I don't want to serve you, God. They could have chosen to go back to their way. They could have got lost in their culture. But they didn't. In fact, the church of Rome was a solid church. They had issues because we can read the book, the letter that's written to the church in Rome. But one thing they didn't have was division. It's probably one of the only churches that's written letters to. The other ones, they, it's talking about division. But they didn't have division. They understood the unity. They understood that they're in this together and we need each other. We're called for a purpose and that is to share the good news. The same message that John the Baptist started with that Jesus stood up and said the same thing, repent. Look what he says there. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Repent. And repentance isn't just a one-time thing. It's a daily thing. 
Because we're all still living in this flesh. And the Bible is very clear that the flesh and the spirit, they war against each other. Your old desires are warring against you. Come back, do this, live this way, think this way. Your brokenness will always scream at you. Look at your life, look at your life. I was been and as I said earlier, I don't even know if I finished the thought, but as I said earlier, lately I've been thinking about my the newness of the days in Christ 16 some odd years ago and going, God, I'm a mess mentally. I'm a mess. I'm addicted to everything that's out there. My life, my whole life, I've been told you hate me. And now, all of a sudden, I can't get away from your love for me. Trust me, I fought him tooth and nail. Just leave me be. I didn't ask for you. You should have just let me die when I was trying to end my life. And I ran out and I did horrible, disgusting things, hoping that he would turn from me. And I would prove him right of just how bad I was. The night after my drug-induced evening and just crazy sexual perversions and just sickening stuff, I wake up the next morning and he's right there speaking to my heart. Did you find what you were looking for? Huh. And I remember rolling out of the bed when I lived in over there with you and just hitting my knees and going, God, please leave me alone. And I just felt his presence so strong. it's like to be loved because I've been abused since I was a kid. And yet God never leaves us nor forsakes us. He keeps revealing himself. Here I am. Just believe. That's it. God, don't have to do this. Don't I? Just believe. Turn from your ways, Rob. And I'll show you how to live. It's the same message he said then. It's the same message he's been saying since the beginning. And it's the same message until he returns. Repent. Turn from your selfish ways. You can't keep living for yourself. It's not going to do anything for you. It may feel good for the moment. You, you know, sin is enticing. If sin wasn't enticing and fun, we wouldn't look towards it. But it does fulfill something within us for just a short moment in time. Oh. And yet then it leaves us empty. And we go searching for more. And we keep opening up more doors and more doors, just trying to be fulfilled, just trying to feel accepted. Isn't that just the basic need for all of us? Is that we just want to feel... Like we've got a place that we belong. And isn't it crazy what we do in our flesh to get to that place of just belonging? 
I mean, I think about these kids who join gangs. They get the crap beaten out of them. They endure the most harshest treatment, and yet you talk to gang members, and they will tell you, they, that's my family. They got me. They feel some type of acceptance. Young girls who are even older women who just keep giving themselves over to men after men after men after men and maybe giving themselves over to women after women after women. They're just giving themselves because they have no sense of value for themselves. But someone is going to make me feel a value. And yet it never comes. Young guys who have gone through such crud and crap, seeking things to, you know, rather sexual perversion as well, or no matter what your choice of, of, of vice is for you, just so you can feel somewhat accepted. We all seek to be accepted, to belong. And yet we're seeking after the wrong things. Jesus. Jesus is the only one who will ever accept you the way you are. And in accepting you, transform you in who you truly were meant to be. His child. See, you weren't meant for the temporalness of life. You were meant for eternity. Each of us, every boy, girl, man, woman, born, eternity has been placed in your heart. Why do you think man has for centuries has been trying to reach a higher power? Why do you think created man consistently from the beginning creates idols and different things to worship? Because there's something that is placed within each of us that longs for eternity. Where do you think that comes from? That's from God. Because you weren't meant for the temporalness of life. You were meant for eternity. And you'll spend it one way or another, with God or apart from God. And I know a lot of people would say, well, because I used to say the same thing, well, why would a loving God send people to hell? We need to remember, He doesn't send people to hell. You choose to go. You choose. You say, well, how do I choose? Because you choose not to call Him God. He loves you enough. If you want the temporalness of life, He'll turn you over to it. Have it. That's how much he loves you. You want that more than me? See if it'll satisfy you. Because it will destroy you. But that'll be your choice. Your choice. See, sin is no longer to master you. If you are a child of God, you are to be growing, you're to be maturing, and you're to be exposing those fruitless deeds of darkness, exposing the issues of the heart that, are, that, are, that, that keeps you bound in sin. No, drag it out into the light and say, no, I don't want no part of it. How am I to think now? How am I to live different now? Who am I now? I'm a child of God. I've been born again. I need to know my identity. And that's why you're not forced to come to church. You're not forced to read the Bible. You're not forced to worship. No, it just becomes a lifestyle. It just becomes who you are because I got to know who I am. Because God has done something amazing in my life and in your life if you're a Christian. No matter where you're at in your walk, if you just received Christ or you're a mature saint, 
We all have the same need to know Him and to know Him more. Repentance, it's a daily thing. You see that you're living contrary to God's ways. The Holy Spirit brings conviction. Repent. God, I'm sorry. And let it be a true repentance. Not just, oh, I got called, and okay, God, I'm sorry. No, a true, like, ugh, God. There's that part of me that, ah, oh, God is not for you, is not towards you. God, forgive me. God, help me to turn from it and to walk in the newness of it. That's why the Bible says that take thoughts captive. You know they're not truth of God's word. That's why you should know God's word. And to take them captive and to bring them into the obedience of Christ's lordship over your life. See, it's this this relationship. It's just this interactive relationship with God. God Almighty. Who loves you. And he places his spirit in us because he knew in and of ourselves we couldn't live this life. So that's why he even tells his disciples, I have to go away so that he will come. Holy Spirit, y'all. The Spirit of God, the word, the, the word of God says, do not grieve Him. Do not live lives that grieve the Holy Spirit. No, allow the Holy Spirit to do what He is called to do, to produce within you good fruit. This life that can be lived, no matter what chaotic thing is going on around. You don't have to search for significance. You don't have to search for purpose in the world. Find your purpose in the one who created you. Because he came to redeem you. Repent. Believe in the good news, the gospel. Believe in the good news, the gospel. That God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes it will not perish but have everlasting life, eternal life. Eternal life. With God Almighty. That's what you were created for. Don't let man lie to you. Don't let yourself lie to yourself. Don't let the world tempt you and promote their philosophies and their ways. No, you have to stand firm. Know who you are. These Christians at home did. They had to be reminded, as we all continually have to be reminded. Jesus put him in the center. Keep your eyes on him. Trust him. Trust him. Life is so fragile. You're here today, you're gone tomorrow. And what would you have spent your life on? The created things of this world? All of this is passing away. All of it. But there's one kingdom that would never be shaken. There's one kingdom that's going to last forever. And that's God's kingdom. So I love, as now Jesus is preaching, repentance. Believe in the good news. He's now going to call disciples to himself. And back in those days, for a Jewish person to be called by a rabbi, a teacher, it was a great, great calling. But let's remember, just as with John, so it is with Jesus. 
he wasn't your established religious figure. He was the son of a carpenter. That's how they viewed him in the flesh. He comes from Nazareth. Does anything good come from there? They didn't see him as God. They didn't see him as Messiah. He was just, to them, another man. Claiming to be God. And they began to get jealous. Because his ministry began to flourish. And so they decided they had to kill him. All along though, that was God's plan. Remember the cross that was purposed from the beginning. Jesus knew why he was coming. He knew the cross was set before him. It was the only way someone had to, the blood of the Messiah had to be shed. God himself wrapped himself in flesh and was crucified as payment for your sin. No greater love than this, that a man will lay down his life for his friends. But it doesn't stop there. Three days later, he rose again. That resurrection. That's the good news of our Christian faith. Not just the cross. We preach the cross. But the good news is beyond the cross. It's the resurrection. Because if Christ did not rise from the dead, there would be no hope. You see, our hope is that he rose. (laughs) And in rising from the dead, he defeated sin power. That power that tries to hold you down has been defeated. So don't choose to remain under it. Even the enemy has been stripped. The devil has been stripped of his power. He has no right, he has no rule over a believer's life. Jesus won. The victory, because of what he accomplished, has been given to us as the church. And that's why we can live in our day and age, in the generation that we're purposed, because you're purposed for today. As long as you have breath in your body, your purpose for the generation in which you're living in, to make him known, to tell others of his great love, to tell others of the victory that he won. If they choose to continue to abide in sin, well, that's their choice. But at least you've done what you were called to do. Serve them as Jesus did. Make him known. I know people like to say, well, Jesus hung out with sinners. Oh, and he did. But he didn't lose himself among them. Mm -hmm. Always fascinates me. We're quick to use that, but yet in hanging out with them, we become them. Is that what Jesus did? No. Jesus hung out with the sinners because he knew those were the ones who needed a Savior. He didn't hang out with the religious people. Because to the religious people, they didn't need anything. They had what they needed. They were puffed up in their knowledge of God. And we hung out with those who needed to know him. He didn't lose himself. And we shouldn't be losing ourselves. We should be out there interacting with people. Having spiritual conversations. Letting them see that there's something different about you. And you can share as the door opens. You don't have to go beat them over the head with the Bible. You don't have to demand them to follow Jesus. Not everyone's going to. But you can live your life before them. They may ridicule you. They may laugh at you. So be it. Keep your head up and keep moving forward. 
be keeping an expression of his love and of his mercy. He calls his followers, these disciples, and they responded immediately. And we talked about it before, I wanted to remind us, this call of a rabbi calling a disciple was so such an honor that the disciples back then walked so closely to their rabbi because they, didn't, they wanted to hear every word the rabbi would say. They wanted to learn of the teacher and the greatest teacher of all, Jesus, decides to call the twelve to him. And again, it's not the religious folk of the day, the people who knew, have such knowledge of God. No, they were just fishermen, tax collectors, just your ordinary people, men who had issues in their lives, and yet Jesus would say, come, follow me, come, Follow me, and they will lead everything. One day, as Jesus, in verse 16, was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John in a boat repairing their nets. He called them at once. And they also followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. Jesus and his companions went to the town of Capernaum. When the Sabbath day came, and he went to the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching. He taught with such real authority quite unlike the teachers of the religious law. Suddenly, a man in the synagogue, who was possessed by an evil spirit, began shouting, Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus cuts him short. Be quiet! Come out of the man, he ordered. At that, the evil spirit screamed, threw the man into a convulsion, and then came out of him. Amazement gripped the audience, and they began to discuss what had happened. What sort of new teaching is this? They asked excitedly. It has such authority, even evil spirits obey his orders. The news about Jesus spread quickly throughout the entire region of Galilee. You see, there is a realm that we cannot see with our natural eyes. Mm -hmm. And it saddens me that the occult knows more about that realm than Christians. As a person used to be involved in the occult, things that I would have seen in the spirit realm, thinking there was such great power, such great authority there, Oh God, when Jesus stepped into my life, it was like seeing it all just stripped of its power and the foolishness of following it. The foolishness of following it. Believing. There's nothing greater than Jesus. There's nothing greater than God's throne. 
No devil, no demon, no nothing, no man is ever going to exalt himself over God. Never. No matter how it presents itself to you. And I found it interesting. Again, those who know my, my testimony, like I hated Jesus. Like I loved going out and, and challenging Christians. I had such a great desire and happiness to see little weak Christians get devoured and challenged by their faith and they couldn't stand because they didn't know who the heck they were or who they served. There were some, though, who I knew not to mess with because there was such a great light, there was such a great something about them. I even know of homes and, and churches not to even deal with, leave them be because of such great power and strong anointing around them. You see, even the demons know of Jesus. And the Word of God says they tremble at it. You see, Satan already knows he's lost. That's why the Word of God says that he's going at the end, as, as the days approach to Jesus' return, Satan, it says, the word of God says that he's going to pour out this fury because he knows his time is near. He's already defeated. There's no need to be influenced or inspired or intimidated by darkness. Because as a believer, you're of the light. Nothing can harm you. I love the fact when the word of God says, and we talked about this recently, that no weapon forged against you will prosper. Now, understand that. It didn't say that a weapon, or you wouldn't be pressed up against. The weapon will be formed against you. It just won't prosper. We recognize as believers when things press up against us, when we go through things in our life, that God can turn it all around for His good, for His purpose. We know that it's there to produce something within us. It's produce a perseverance. Don't give up. Keep going. Keep pushing through. No matter how hard your life may seem, keep persevering on to your calling in Christ because in that it's going to develop a character in you. You're going to become more Christ-like. And in that character being built in you, that hope is going to be established in you that nothing, nothing, can separate you from him. Your hope in Jesus. Nothing can take that from you. Wow. This man was sitting in church. And I was reading different commentaries. And I got a, I kind of got tickled at one of the commentaries. I chuckled and was like, wow, that's, that's, really, that's really awesome. In church. Demons were present. They were in the synagogue. And Jesus steps up. And look how they spoke to him. I love what Jesus did. Look what he says here. Be quiet. See, they were trying to get the upper hand on Jesus. 
They were trying to get the upper hand. Be quiet. And not only be quiet, come out from him. And they had to leave. That's the God in whom we serve you all. All authority. All power. They announced who he was. But it wasn't time. His ministry was just starting. He had a purpose. He had a path in which he had to walk along to get to the cross. Be quiet. Wow. Nothing was going to thwart his plan. Be quiet. It reminds me of the account in the book of Acts where Paul is walking through the, the town and this fortune teller begins to scream out to the crowd of people, these are the men of the Most High God. These are the men of the Most High God. Listen to what they have to say. And it just began to irritate Paul. And Paul says, come out of her! Demons left that woman. The woman's life has changed. She's no longer under, their, under the demonic control influence. And that angered the people. Because everywhere that Paul and them went, and the Spirit of God moved, and people were giving their lives to God because of their repentance and turning away from what they did, the establishment, the community, the people who were feeding these people, all the junk, all of a sudden they weren't making money. Like, now you've taken our livelihood, man. She's not, she's powerless. She's useless to us now. And these disciples and these people would find themselves being beaten and imprisoned and, you know, being dealt with because they were affecting communities. But they didn't give up. They didn't turn back. They knew that Jesus called them. See, we can't keep taking three steps forward and six steps back and then sitting down and no, we got to keep moving, we got to keep moving and we got to start dealing with things that are dealing with us. Sometimes you just got to be, in Jesus' name, just tell things to be quiet. Mm-hmm. If your mind is rattling, if your mind is just going through such confusion or distortion or whatever, just stand up and say, in Jesus' name, be quiet. You have the authority. It's been given to you as a believer. We have to learn to walk in it. That's what maturing is about in Christianity. You're to be maturing. You're to be growing. Or if you're not, you're going to be kicked around left and right. The enemy's going to get you and jump on you and throw you back. And you can say, but I thought you said the enemy doesn't have power over you. He doesn't, unless you give it to him. Mm -hmm. Unless you begin to choose to believe what he's telling you. Remember how does God transform us? By transforming our mind, by renewing our mind, by changing the way we think. You choose to hinder that process, not God. You choose to listen to the lies of the enemy, to listen to the desires that are within you, to go the opposite way. 
God will chase after you. God will keep revealing himself to you. God will continue to remind you, you belong to me. Don't go that way. Turn back to me. I love you. If you continue to go that way, you're storing up my wrath. And why would you choose my wrath over my love? No, turn to me. You see, he loves us. He's not going to force us to love him. It has to be a sincere choice of the heart. steps in and tries to block your path when your flesh and the world presents itself and reminds you of whatever it is that haunts you or disturbs you you gotta learn to take authority in Jesus name you gotta learn to take authority in Jesus name Remember who he is. And you gotta start praying for other believers, you all, and even for non-believers. We're not out to go out there and, and, and bash down the non-believers. You ought to be praying for them. You ought to be asking, how can I serve them? You ought to be moved with compassion for them. And for believers, the same, encouraging each other, loving each other, enough to tell the truth. See, to a believer, I can go to Norma and say, Norma, why are you acting like that? Norma, why are you choosing to do those things? That's not who you are anymore. And Norma then would have an option either to respond in her flesh and go, who are you to judge me? I'm going to do me, I'm going to live that way I want. Or she would feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit and go, oh, brother, thank you. Thank you for loving me enough to remind me. If she was an unbeliever and I went to her and I said, well, Norma, stop doing this and stop doing that and stop doing this, all she's going to hear from me is like putting down, beating up, bum, bum, bum. But if I speak to her as an unbeliever and I begin to build a relationship with her and she sees something different in me and then gradually the door opens for me to begin to share the faith in Christ with her. The Holy Spirit begins to work because God is working behind the scenes in the spirit realm. And then she's opening more and more to the place that she comes and she accepts Christ. It's different how you talk to believers and unbelievers. In the church, there's an accountability. We should be judging the fruit in our life. We should be bold enough to encourage and edify each other, even if it hurts. Even if it hurts. But you know it's coming out of love. So there has to be unity within the body of Christ. We shouldn't be fighting each other and tearing each other down and gossiping and slander and, and speaking ill. No, we know our need for each other. And we know that if you fall, we're no different. We could fall too. So we're not going to kick you while you're down. We're going to come alongside you. 
And we're going to say, hey, wait a minute. Don't go that way. Repent. Remember, repentance is a daily thing. It's not just not a one-time thing. It's a daily thing. No, repent. Sister, why are you going there? You don't belong in those places. Why are you acting like this? And we do this life together. We're growing. We're maturing. And unbelievers, just live among them. Live your life. And don't be ashamed of God. Don't be ashamed of his truth. Don't, don't strip him down and try to present him as he accepts everything and everyone. No. Unless one repents, they will never come to know Jesus. So many times we hear things being presented to people who don't know Jesus. Come to Jesus and your life will be better. Come to Jesus and you'll get everything you need. What Jesus is that? No, in fact, the call of a disciple, listen to the words out of Jesus' mouth. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. To follow me, he says, you must deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. Trust me. In this world, you will have trouble. This is Jesus' words. And then he says, but be of good cheer. I've already overcome the world. I've done what I needed to do to set you free. You are a free person. Now live as one. Live as my representative on this earth. Live so that others will know there's hope. That's why he called these disciples. When Jesus leaves, 12 men one is replaced because we know Judas was his betrayer. And even Jesus knew who his betrayer was. And yet he still called him. But 12 men take this message and turn the world upside down because they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. Hundreds, thousands, millions of others come to know Jesus. And the world is being turned upside down. Verse 29. After Jesus left the synagogue with James and John, they went to Simon and Andrew's home. Now Simon's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever. They told Jesus about her right away. So he went to her bedside, took her by the hand, and helped her sit up. Then the fever left her, and she prepared and healed for them. That evening after sunset, many sick and demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. The whole town gathered at the door to watch. So Jesus healed many people who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. But because the demons knew who he was, he did not allow them to speak. <laughs> Before daybreak, the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him. When they found him, they said, Everyone is looking for you. But Jesus replied, We must go on to other towns as well, and I will preach to them too. That is why I came. It's a very important passage right there. Jesus knew his purpose. He wasn't being bogged down in one place. He knew his purpose. He had to continue. 
So he traveled throughout the region of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he said. Ah, moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. Leprosy, it's a horrible disease. Your body's rotting. Parts of your body fall off. And not only that, but you're not even allowed in the city. They set you up on the outside. You're not welcomed any longer. You do not have to have any association with any of your family members. You're forgotten. You're left alone. With a horrible, horrible disease. You weren't touched. In fact, if you were around people, you were to announce, unclean, unclean. And yet, this is a powerful picture, you all. Jesus moved with compassion, reached out, and touched him. Wow. There's something powerful about a touch. When you're hurting. There's something powerful about being touched or embraced. When you're sick, when you're in pain, when you're lonely, when life just seems to be crashing all around you. There's something beautiful. And Jesus understands that. And we as his followers should. That does not become like the Pharisees and the Sadducees who walk puffly around everyone as if we got it all together because we know God. And we look down at people as if they're disgusting to us. What is that? And to be moved as Jesus is moved with compassion. To reach out. And touch. I am willing, he said. Be healed. Instantly the leprosy disappeared and the man was healed. Then Jesus sent him on his way with a stern warning. Don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. But the man went and spread the word, proclaiming to everyone what had happened. As a result, a large crowd soon surrounded Jesus, and he couldn't publicly enter a town anymore. He had to stay out in the secluded places, but people from everywhere kept coming to him. He told the man to do what the law required. Go present yourself to the priest. Give the offering. They will announce you as being cleaned and you'll be restored. Go. Jesus wasn't looking to have a public ministry of healing. It was part of his ministry, healing the miracles, casting out demons. But he wasn't looking to have a ministry of like a sideshow. Remember, he knew his purpose. This is why I came. I have to go tell the good news. 
have to share to those who would hear who I am. All of those other things, the healing, the miracles, the casting on demons, that all is part of who he is. But that's not what he wanted to be known for. In fact, do you remember there was a time when Jesus looked at the crowd and said, Listen, you're only with me because I fed you. When he did that miracle, the fish and the bread. He knew their hearts. You're always looking for a sign. Oh, if you're the Son of God, heal, do this, do that. He knew their heart. But sometimes we're no different. Sometimes we say the same thing. Well, if you're really God, then fix this for me. I don't know if I want to believe you or whatever, and we challenge him. And if you don't do it, then that must mean you're not God. See, your faith as God is not based upon what he does for you, how he makes your life better. No, your faith in God is what he's accomplished for you already. His resurrection, his death on the cross, the payment for your sin. That you don't have to experience God's wrath. Because he took it for you. That's why you believe in Jesus. That's why you come to know him. And in knowing him, he heals, he provides. He moves in ways that he moves. And in all the ways that he moves, he's revealing himself even more to you and to others. Sometimes the greatest testimony is the trust and faith in Christ when everything else is going crazy around you. When life doesn't even seem to make sense, but if people can see you, just hold fast and hold firm to your faith. To your faith. So many times we point people to our circumstances. No, but point them to your faith in Christ and in Christ alone. Like their challenge. Well, if he's really God or, well, if you really believe, maybe God will do the, all these weird things that people say and they, and they can challenge us. But man, if we would just hold on to the fact that, no, God, you're God. You're for me, not against me. You came to set me free. And I'm free. I don't want to get entangled back up in junk. And if I do, as the Word of God says, throw it off and get up and continue towards Him. This is just the beginning of this chapter, of this book. It's a powerful book. It's written by a young man who has seen the ups and downs in ministry. And even at some point, he walked away from ministry. But 15 years later, he's restored to ministry. He had to mature, he had to grow, to get to a place where he could be able to be a source of encouragement to a church who was facing great, great persecution. 
who were living in, in, in a culture that was so perverted. The Roman culture, oh, if you never studied it, go read about them. They were uh, a mess of a people. And their entertainment was watching Christians die in a Colosseum. They found great joy in that. And yet the church was not stuffed out. The church progressed. And lives were coming to Christ. And so let that be said about us in our culture today. Don't cave in. Don't give up. And also in the church culture, because the church culture is accepting so much craziness and they're stripping God of his power. Don't get caught up in that. Know who God is. Know his word. Know his truth. That's why Jesus says, and I'll close with this, abide in me. Remain in me. There's going to be a lot of things that are going to try to influence you all. You'll get up from this place. You've heard the word of God. And depending on the soil of your heart, either that word is going to be robbed from you or it's going to grow deep and you're going to begin to be like changing. But you're going to be influenced out there to turn from God. But don't turn. Get to know him, you all. No matter what you're facing, get to know him. And trust Him. So that ultimately your life can be a reflection to others. Get out there and serve you all. I want this year to be a year that we truly get this. Get out there and serve. I want you to be challenged every day. How can I serve others? Get over yourself. Get over your uh, all the junk that you just take in all day and make it all about you. No, let's get over ourselves and, God, how can we serve? How can we put our hands and feet out there? What is it that you can do, each of you, because you're around other people? And no matter what stage you're at in your growth in Christ, just begin to blossom, just begin to mature, just begin to grow, and be encouraged, you all. It's a new year. A new season ahead of us, individually and corporately. Allow your light to shine out there in the dark world. That's what he came to do. And if that's what he did, God himself humbled himself to mankind to reach them. Who are we to think we're greater than him? Humble yourself before God. Serve him and serve others. Amen? Mm-hmm. I'm going to close with this song, and then I'll close this in prayer.